Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. There are so many things that the Holy Spirit practically does for God on this earth. It just so happens that for many of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as though we tend to fixate a little bit more on the the visible, the sensational, the manifested, uh, the spectacular aspects of the Holy Spirit. And there is no doubt that the Holy Spirit does a visible work. He does a spectacular, supernatural, miraculous work that is rather awesome in nature. But very few of us appreciate the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our person. Many of us are excited about the Holy Spirit among us, maybe above us, the Holy Spirit in group settings. Uh, we're, we're, we're excited about uh, the supernatural. And myself, I love that aspect of the Holy Spirit. But in this particular day and age, and in this session, I exhort us to also pay attention to the renewing work of God in us as a person. And to the vast majority of believers that I speak, they all have heard so many times the spectacular work of the Holy Spirit. And they want to see that and they want to be a part of that. And I can only say, Amen. But it's as though hardly anyone can testify that they also know the Holy Spirit in a personal, renewing, transformative capacity for their own personality, their own behavioral habits and patterns, their own uh, quirks for their own emotion, for their own transformative mind. It's as though we always many times look at the Holy Spirit around us and about us and, wow, look how He's moving here, look how He's moving there. And yet, we should also be able to testify that He is working a renewal, a restoration, a recovery, and times of refreshing in me. And this message, like so many that I minister, especially to young people, is to fixate maybe just a little bit more on what the Spirit of God is doing within you and not just around you. Is the Holy Spirit so at work within you? Do you permit His flow and His rhythm within you to such an extent that you have one voice with the Spirit, one living with the Spirit, one mind, one sense, one feeling, one lifestyle habit and pattern, one walk with the Holy Spirit. Beloved, God does a work around us. No doubt about that. 
but are you open to a renewing work within you? Genesis, we saw that the Spirit of the Lord was there, in a way, dispatched down to this earth. The eternal Spirit of God has been the agent God has used to work in this earth. And I attempted last night to really briefly show you just a little snapshot of the order that came out of creation. And you see there the picture of the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of the deep. And then light comes in. And in a prophetic kind of a way, we see that every person who is really born of God, every person who really walks with God, they can all say this same thing. In some way, shape, or form, they can all say exactly the same thing. They will say things like this. God was a confusing mess to me. It was dark. I couldn't see. I couldn't understand. But now that I've met the Lord, everything's in 3D. Have you all heard people speak like that? Have you spoken like that? I have a friend that literally says, you know, when I met the Lord, things turned to technicolor for me. It had dimension. Things had purpose. Well, what is he trying to say? And what are you saying when you say, I can see? What you're trying to say is you've been illuminated. You've been enlightened. Uh, God has shone a light upon you. If you remember the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to go persecute the people of the way, that is, the followers of Jesus. And he had light in him, thinking he was serving God. He was honoring God, so i got to go kill these people for the love of God, you understand? And, and there's, there's plenty of reason right there to kill people, just for the love of God. And folks still do that, of course, to this day. But that's the light in them. And Jesus even said, He said, if the light is, that is in you is darkness, then how great is that darkness actually within you? So that was the Apostle Paul. So he goes out with self-light, self-reason, I've got to go kill these people because they're a frustration and a bother to Judaism, these Jesus people. So in route to Damascus, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to him like a bright shining sun in the middle of the day. So there was the sun, actually, but then there was Christ in addition to the sun, shining brighter. And God revealed himself to the apostle. And he received light and understanding. And then we believe the Lord took the Apostle Paul. And this is kind of where we sort of get lost in history, as we're not sure if for some three-odd years we think Paul actually went to Mount Sinai in Arabia. He says so in the book of Galatians. And at Mount Sinai in Arabia is the very place, we call it Mount Horeb. This is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is where Moses received the law of God. And what is the law of God? It's the revelation of God. Through the law of God, the Jews understood who this God was and what He wanted. So through the tablets at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, they received revelation. And we call that the Older Covenant. 
So here's the apostle Paul. He meets Jesus in a ball of light. It blinds him for three days. And I think it's very significant that he was blinded from his natural seeing and his natural light so that he was baptized now and all of a sudden he can see. We think for some three years he then goes to this mountain and there he receives revelation from God. God educates this man and tutors him in the new covenant. And he would even be so bold as to say in the book of Galatians, he said, I did not receive my understanding of who Jesus was from any one of the apostles. John, James, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, Philip, Nathaniel, those guys, they taught me nothing. And so Paul submitted Sometime after his conversion, he submitted his revelation of who Jesus was to the apostles, and they could not take away or add anything to what he saw. That is, he got revelation from God. And he got revelation as to who this person, Jesus the Christ, was. And he penned some 13 or so odd books in the New Testament that gives us such an in-depth picture as to the person of God, the purposes of God, and how He wants to use you and I in the process. That's called revelation. That's called light. And that's what the Spirit of God did initially in the book of Genesis. Let there be light. And so the apostle meets God, and light was separated from darkness in him. And that was a work of Almighty God. The first most amazing work in creation was repeated in the Apostle Paul. After this man met Jesus the Christ, he considered all the previous light he had as though it was rubbish. Everything that he had gained and thought he understood, he threw it all out and he said, it is nothing in comparison with the excellency of this Lord that I met. That is a work of the Spirit of God in that man. That is a work of the Spirit of God in creation. And it has to be a work of the Spirit of God in you and I's day. You've got to be able to say, God is teaching me, and what He's teaching you should be in congruency with the Word of God as we have it today and the body of Christ at large. Uh, Joseph, where, where are you? Where's Mr. Smith? Uh, listen to me, Joseph Smith. You can't go fall in a ditch there behind a rock somewhere and get, let some angel bring you additional revelation and some golden plates and now start like a whole new thing that's in addition. Paul would say from the book of Galatians, he said, I'm so confident of my revelation, my understanding of who the Son of God is and what the economy of God is, the way of God, what's the burden of God and the heart of God and the desire. I'm so confident of the light that even if an angel should come and preach something different than what I've delivered, Paul called it his gospel, by the way. He said, if an angel should come, the way that Joseph Smith, for instance, in Mormonism would say, the angel Moroni came to me. Paul would say, even if an angel were to come and add something or take something away or twist it or manipulate it or massage it just a little bit, Paul would say, that angel should be cursed. And he said, I pronounce a curse on that angel. That is how sure, how convicted, how settled he was as to the light he received. 
And you know how many of us, we live by the light of the Google, by the light of inspiration, by the light and the fad of the day, the movements of the day. And we just, we, one day we're in this camp, one day we're in this camp, and one day we're very sure of this, and one day we're unsure of this. Your light is, yeah, secondary light. And I want to tell you, we've got to become people where the Holy Spirit, again, in accordance with the Word of God and the sound teaching of the body of Christ at large, we've got to be people that know that we know that we know that we know what we believe, whom we believe, why we believe, how we've come to believe, so much so that we don't vacillate and become like a wave tossed this way and a wave tossed that way, double-minded. The book of James says that a double-minded man, a double-souled man, a man that is here and then he's over here, and a man that's here and then he's over here, that man is unstable in all of his ways, and that man should not suppose that he will receive anything from God. That's why so many of us are unstable and we're wanting something from God and He somehow doesn't show up. Why? Because we are not in the way, the truth, the light, the straight, the narrow. That was the Apostle Paul. He was so confident of that light that he considered everything else just absolutely a waste. That's light. I can't convince you of that light. You know, we as ministers of the gospel... We're all day long trying to convince people, persuade people. But you cannot stand on a man's persuasion. You have to stand on the rock, like you just heard. Your house has to be built on rock, and that's what the Lord Himself said. So that's what the Spirit of God did in the book of Genesis, is He separated light from darkness. And I want to tell you, a work of God that does not separate light from darkness in you is not a work of God. It's a work of imagination, it's a work of, let's say, persuasion, a work of inspiration, and it wears off. The Spirit of God came and He drew a line between light and darkness, between the heavenly water and the earthly. Where do you drink? From the heavenly water or from the earthly water? There was a separation to create this polarization so that you could see this is of the heavens, this is of the earth. Then again, there was the waters of the ocean and the land, and God separated it. So there's a lot we can speak about that. But you'll see, people who are spirit-filled and ongoingly seek more filling, you'll always notice there's light in their life to some extent. And by the way, when we say light, we don't mean that we know it all. But the two or three things you do know, you can take a bullet for it. There's conviction, there's confidence, there's a strange boldness that's associated with that light. But we dare not say that if the Spirit of God teaches you or educates you, we now know everything. Is everybody with me? Yeah. All right. You'll see people who are Spirit-filled and seek ongoing uh, filling and drinking. You'll see that they live a separated life. You cannot walk with God and maintain a life in darkness, a life eating from the earth, a life that's haphazard, casual, wishy-washy, iffy-iffy, riding the fence. You're setting yourself up 
for frustration. And that's what I sp spoke about last night. People who are consecrated and separated to God, you will experience the life of God flowing in you. That's the next thing that you saw in creation that the Spirit of God did, is He brought forth grass and seed and trees and fruit and bugs and fish and cattle and creeping things and birds. And what the creation story is trying to teach you, in every dimension, life was the testimony. And that's what's going to happen to us, is that as you walk with God, the Spirit keeps filling you. You keep drinking and you're living a consecrated life. You'll see that you come alive wherever you are. If you're at this job that seems like an ocean to you, you're drowning. Well, in that ocean, God put fish as a testimony of life. Life can thrive in that salty ocean water. Is everybody with me? But you see, Christians, God asks you to work at McDonald's. <laughs> it's so dark here. But that's why you're there, to be light. It's just like everything is so confusing here. But that's why you're there, to be a demarcation line. But it's just, I feel so dead here. But that's why you're there, to manifest life. But you cannot manifest life in dark places, in difficult places, if you're not a consecrated person, if light is not within you, there is a rhythm to this, and I tried to point that out last night ever so briefly. You'll see God put birds in the sky. Life is a testimony there. On this earth, everywhere you go, from the highest mountain to the lowest swamp, there's a testimony of life. The picture that should form in you is that life triumphs over every environment. There's a testimony of life in every environment. And that's what's got to happen in the Christian life. A person who is spirit-filled when he's in the city, he manifests God. If he's in the country, he manifests God. If he's on the mountaintop, he lives for God, manifests God. When he's down on the swamp, the valley, the mosquitoes, the shadow of death, he manifests God. Is everybody with me? We have such a man in the Bible. His name is Jesus Christ. He manifested the life of God in the village, in the city. In the temptation, he was living. All the while, he had the testimony of God on him. That's what the Spirit of God did in creation. That's what he wants to do in you. I said another thing there that the Spirit of God did in creation is that he intensified the light, brought forth you know, uh, the celestial bodies of the sun and the moon and the stars, and a lot can be spoken about that. Again, just the sun, in a way, represents Almighty God, the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. I believe the moon, the reflector of the sun, represents the body of Christ. The stars, the saints. And I just believe... There is a progression where you'll see that if you really live by the light, you live consecrated, and you begin to live and move and have your being in Him, you'll see that the Father will entrust more to you. To Him who has, more will be given. And you'll see if you really walk with God, you will grow in your affinity for God. You will really want to seek out more God. Just like the Apostle Paul. 
Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Him. I want to go deeper with Him. And yet he had known God already. He'd been raptured to the third heaven. He, he had all the revelation one can possibly want. And yet he said, I want to know Him. So the man did not arrive. There was deeper, more intensified light for him to receive. And that's what we're trying to say there. And then again, you'll see that if you really live a spirit-filled life, you'll have an attraction to the body of Christ. You'll want to be with God's people. You'll want to create an environment where God's people can come to your house or your apartment. Or you'll just, you, you're aching to meet with people. Guess what? Even on days that's not Sunday <laughs> or Wednesday. And that's what the moon represents, shining the light of God. It's, you'll see folk that are spirit-filled. Man, they just, they love the Lord's people. They don't get all caught up in controversies and schisms and denominations. They get caught up in shining and reflecting the Son of God. Not minister so-and-so. Movement this or that. Just the moon reflects the sun. And I believe those stars, again from the book of Philippians, Paul would say, you and I are those luminaries. We can learn from one another. We can receive from one another. So I called that in a nutshell last night, intensification. And that's what happened in creation. There was additional light, further light, deeper light that came into the creation story. And then there was a man. God said, let us make a man. And this was the God-man, Adam. This was a man with the image of God. This was a man that was in the likeness of God. This was a man that was clothed with the power of God. See, you and I, we all want the Holy Spirit power. <laughs> we love that, do we not? But I want to tell you, there's a little bit of a journey towards that power. First, light, consecration, life, intensification, power. That man, Adam, was clothed with God's power. He was to rule and to reign. He was to be an overcomer, a kind of a kingly figure. I believe God wants to make us kings. Instead of us Christians being the underdog, apologizing for everything, being all without spine and, and just kind of, we're supposed to be people with backbone. We should know how to speak for the Lord. We should know how to rebuke de demons and devils. We should be confident to pray for people. We should be able to work. We should be able to steward and govern and lead. We should be outstanding luminaries, shining lights, Paul would say, in a dark world. We should be those people. That's what Adam was, supposed to be actually. And that's a work of the Spirit of God. And in this Adam, he was also a man that was supposed to bear fruit, multiply, have children, and fill the earth and subdue it. A lot can be said about that, but suffice it to say, God wanted his life to be influential. God wanted his life to extend into his kids grandkids and kids and kids and kids and kids. That is, there's an influence that this man has in this earth. Saints, God has kept you here since the day of your salvation so that He can grow in you for multiplication, for influence through you so that you live a life that outlives yourself, a life that is legendary and impactful and a life that bears fruit. 
You and I are not just here left to suck up oxygen and help filter all this air. We're here to be men and women in the image of God, however imperfect we are. We're supposed to be men and women in the authority of God and men and women who, who bear fruit, have influence, multiply. Psalms 104, I just want to read a verse for you before we skip over to Psalm 139. But look here, 104, and look at verse 30. As the psalmist uh, writes his music to the Lord, and uh, you see uh, Psalm 104 is a big one. But he gets to verse 30, and he celebrates the work of the Spirit. He says, in verse 30, You send forth your Spirit, and things are created. You renew the surface of the ground. That is a clear reference to the Spirit of God in the creation story that had an effect on this earth. The Spirit of God came in, and notice that word, you renew the face of the ground. I don't know how your Bible might say it. Does it use the word renew? Refresh? Anybody else? Any other word there? You renew the face of the ground. Well, that was the Spirit of God with the actual earth. But guess what? You and I, we're also children of the earth. The Bible says that Adam was made from the dirt. Actually, that's what the word Adama actually means. Adam, as we would say, means dirt. God renewed the literal earth. Then from that earth He made a man. That man became fallen. That dirt also lapsed into chaos. And here, the same Spirit that did that initial work is going to do it again in you and I, the dirty people. And here's the emphasis. He renews the face of the earth. Let that be a prophetic utterance as to what God wants to do in you and I's life, is to renew our complexion, renew my identity, restore and, and rebuild me to the God-man that God has called me to be. Let that be just a prophetic word that rings within your belly, is that God is in the renewal, restoration business. But how does He do it? He does it through His own life giving spirit. Amen? So yeah, the Spirit of God is at work in this earth. Turn to Psalm 139. You should know this one. This is a beautiful one. As the psalmist uh, writes his song to the Lord, he includes the Spirit of God. Listen to these words again. Verse 7, Where shall I go away from your Spirit? And where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, there you are. And if I were to take the wings of the dawn and settle at the far reaches and limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. 
and your right hand will take a hold of me. And if I should say, surely darkness will cover me, and the, right, the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love it there in the creation story. The whole planet was engulfed in water, and it says, actually, it was dark. And yet the Spirit of God was there. Not afraid. Oh, I can't come near to her. Oh, I can't come near to him. He's so bad. No, you're not. If you're dark, we're all candidates for the work of the Spirit. If there's something in you that's inadequate and dark, and, and, and you feel like God cannot come here, I want to tell you, yes. This is what the psalmist is experiencing. If I go up into the heavens and I get raptured, of course God is there. But if I was to make my bed and my living down in hell itself, God is there. And if I should set out on the, on the wind and reach to the far edges of flat earth, God's even there, you flat earthers. Okay? Even the darkness is not dark to you. God is not intimidated by darkness. I love it. The night shines like the day, and the darkness is like the light. In other words, where can I go from your spirit where he cannot renew something and make something new out of me? I love it. <laughs> Yo. It's marvelous to serve God. You can't lose. And then we have the nerve to say, I'm so dry today. And she's like, where's God today? She's like, you're an idiot. He's right here. Have you noticed that we gave you a bracelet that comes from the plaque on the wall here that an elderly gentleman gave to me many, many years ago? Um, there's a little bracelet from that plaque, bidden or not bidden, God is present. And bidden means just the old, it's old archaic English, is, is I bid thee farewell. That is, I, I wish you for farewell. Or bid can also mean when you bid somebody, as you're calling on somebody, you welcome somebody. And the saying says, bidden or not bidden, wished for or not, longed for or not, welcomed or not, God just is present. That's what the psalmist is trying to say. The Lord is just present. And I love the fact that He renews the face of the earth. This is the work of God in this earth. In this earth. Amen. I want to show you one last passage. Go all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. In the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God begins work to renew the face of the earth, to renew the face of this earth, to bring forth light, to consecrate people, to lead people, to make people alive, to, to, to intensify people's training, to, um, to bring forth the, the face of God upon people, the, the image of God, the likeness of God, all that we call transformation, okay? And, and sanctification, a spiritual word we use. And the, the Spirit of God is growing in us to become people of authority and people that bear fruit and people that have influence and people that multiply. And there's, there's nowhere you can run from the hand of God working in you. And all throughout Scripture, God was working in every man and woman in every age, the Spirit of God was there. Oh, you couldn't see Him much of the time. 
Every now and again, the Spirit of God would rush upon someone and anoint them, and they would carry out these great exploits. But all the while, the Spirit of God is here. He's acquainted with this earth. He's attached to this earth to renew, to build. And then, oh, even the Lord Jesus was birthed by the Holy Spirit. How did Mary become pregnant? By the Spirit of God. So when God Himself wanted to step into this earth, He also did it through the medium of His Holy Spirit. Can you follow with me? So God does nothing in a way in this earth without the Spirit of God involved. So somehow the Spirit of God is attached to this ball. All of you want to go live on Mars? We're going to have to update your Bible. You know, the Spirit of God is also on Mars, maybe. Yeah, okay. But He's here. He wants to live here and work here and renew the face. And so you'll see, even when Jesus was born, it was through the medium of the Holy Spirit. And how did He live? By the Spirit. He was baptized. The Holy Spirit comes upon Him, led by the Spirit. And He spoke in Spirit. All the apostles, touched by the Spirit of God. Jesus, on the day of resurrection, breathed His Spirit into them. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came upon them. Within and upon. We'll talk about that a little bit later today. And so those men lived with power. They lived with a new face. They shone the character of God. They had influence. By, by golly, here you and I are today calling on the name of Jesus because of them. I call that influence. Amen. They lived a life that multiplied. And today we look back at these apostles and we say, legendary people. Wow. I want to be like that. And all the while the Spirit of God was working, shaking things up and filling people and moving. And here you come to the book of Revelation. Revelation is almost the back end of the Bible story. It's history written in advance, some folk would say. And in the book of Revelation, we get a little bit of a glimpse as to what is yet to come to some extent. So all the way from Genesis, the Spirit of God is working. And I want you to notice at the consummation and the climax, right there at the end in the book of Revelation, notice this verse with me a little bit. This is now the Spirit of God that's been working for millennia, millennia, age in and age out in this earth. And notice what happens. Let's start at verse 12. He says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to render to each one according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega. I am first and last, the beginning and the end. He says in verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. He says outside of that new Jerusalem, outside of the city, by the way, the New Jerusalem, you'll have to come to Legacy to understand what this is. Not really. But the New Jerusalem is not a city. It's a metaphor for a woman. It's the bride of Christ being described metaphorically through the city of Jerusalem. Who, ascend, who descends out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. The Bible gives us the exact interpretation of what the new Jerusalem is. It's the body of Christ. 
In short, we say the ecclesia, the church. But he says outside of the body of Christ, outside of the church, are the dogs. All these dogs running out here, they're not going to make it. Sorry, Lulu. The Bible says so. Outside are the dogs. That is religion and men's customs and traditions. It's not in the body of Christ. Sorcerers. Harry is not going to make it. He ain't a part of the New Jerusalem. I don't care if he's a potter or not. He gone. Fornicators. Murderers. Idolaters. And everyone who loves and makes a lie. Santa is not a part. The Easter Bunny is not a part. It's a lie. Y'all know that, right? Don't be so shocked. Did I just overspeak now? Santa was created by men. There is no fat man with a red costume. No, I'm being silly. Outside of the New Jerusalem, outside of the body of the Lord, there is no... Inside the body of the Lord, there's no lie. There's only the truth that prevails. Can you understand what he's trying to say? So the light prevails. So that's the body of Christ. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright morning star. We're beginning to wrap up the Bible here. We're beginning to wrap up the God story and here in verse 17, notice carefully, the Spirit and the Bride together now say, Come, Lord Jesus. Look what the Spirit of God has done here. Throughout the ages, He has gained men and women, and He's renewed the face of the ground. And now the Spirit who is really the breath of Almighty God, is within people. And the Spirit with the body, the breath of God in the body, together. There is a unison here. They together say, Oh, Jesus, come. Can you see what's going on? The Spirit has renewed us with an affection for Jesus, a longing for the return of the Lord, the bride longing for her uh, bridegroom. This is what I'm trying to show you. Throughout the whole biblical record, the Spirit of God is working until there can be a voice in you that say, Come, my bridegroom. Come, Lord Jesus. Can you follow with me? What a marvelous little snapshot of just the Spirit of God. Starting there in uh, initial creation, things are a little bit disjointed, he begins to renew the face of the ground. And then all throughout the record of mankind, the Spirit of God will be attempting to renew the face of the earth. This earth. 
till there is a voice within you that say, Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Oh, Lord Jesus. Until there is nothing on your lips but, Oh, Lord Jesus. Can you follow with me? day I was working here in the front yard watering the, uh, the grass and people pulled up on a boat. Now listen carefully. I don't want to misrepresent what happened. People pulled up and they, they shout from the boat and I, I, I waved to them and I said, um, Happy Labor Day. And um, <clears throat> they said, You've got a nice house. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> I said, No, this is a school. And they shout back, what, what school? I said, it's like a Bible school. It's a discipleship school. And uh, the one lady from the boat, she shouts to me. My wife sat here and heard it all. She shouts, what do you teach? Ah, great question. And without thinking, I didn't rehearse this. I didn't pull out like a little flashcard. Okay, when a question is asked, what? Okay. Just without thinking, the breath within me said, I teach people the Lord Jesus Christ. It just, it just blurted out. To which the boat responded, What church do you guys go to? Am I wrong? And I said to her, I said, We are the church. <laughs> A little kooky in the southern culture, you know, you're like, I am the church. That doesn't fly really well. She what church do you go to? I said, I am the church. We are the church here. And she says, we go to church of, you know, whatever, something. And I said, God bless you. See ya. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God has already worked in my life to such an extent that just I blurt out His name. It just, it's natural. Come, Lord. Oh, Lord. Yes, Lord. You, Lord. That's the work of the Spirit of God. Now, I've not arrived yet. But I want to tell you, what most of us coming out of our mouth is we're quoting pastor so-and-so, quoting book this and that, quoting denomination this and that. It's the breath within us. I just want to challenge you this morning. If people push your button, what comes out of your mouth? Because what's in the heart, eventually, comes out of the mouth. Y'all with me? So here, in the book of Revelation, what a marvelous snapshot that the Spirit of God has so gained people for God that they with the Spirit say, Oh, Jesus, come. Lord, we love you. We long for our bridegroom. Can you say that today? Then just say, Come, Lord, Spirit, and do some more work in this earth. Renew the face of this ground till I be able to say with you together, Come, Lord Jesus.